Welcome to Conversations with Q, where we chat to leading marketers and entrepreneurs to learn about them and from them. A couple of weeks ago, we got to chat to Buffer's Brian Peters, and this week we've got another Buffer alumni for you in the form of Paul Thompson former happiness hero and now a successful online course architect and digital nomad, with a very enviable lifestyle, I might add. Last year, I appeared on Paul's podcast, so it was really nice to be able to continue our conversation and talk about some of our favourite topics, like marketing, remote working and travel. We actually got talking right off the bat about podcasting, so we're jumping straight into the conversation. I hope you enjoy it. Actually, like, are you thinking of doing a second series of the marketing band? Well, I... I am. So yeah. I, uh, yeah, the, the, the hurdle was that uh, at the same time I started marketing banter and pushed for that, I was, to be um, in full transparency, was going through uh, choosing two different paths. Uh, I was looking down the path of a marketing agency where basically uh, I would take a huge piece of content from a client and then I would use a team on my side to um, uh, to like a copywriter, a designer, graphic artist, like to cut it all up and distribute it out for the client. And it was just okay. going to be kind of like a me in like the midpoint. And then I'll just distribute the work to people that could actually do it. Uh, and part of that was I had been out of the marketing landscape, social media landscape since leaving Buffer for oh, like probably like six months or something like that. No, not in that, like four months. And so I wanted to get back into the circles of the marketing geniuses and learn, okay, what's, what's going on? What have I missed? Um, you know, how can I catch up as quickly as possible? So that was my plan to get on to marketing banter and just talk to these people living and breathing it every day and, and hear what's happening so that when I did come down to the path of distributing the content, I would just be able to, you know, use what I'm learning as I'm going and quickly catch up. Um, so that was the plan A. And also at the same time, I started doing um, all the course consulting work and things like that. So, uh, and that kind of took off a lot quicker than the marketing stuff. So I ended up just uh, finishing up the marketing band to season one. And then as soon as I've got some extra time after the course stuff, I'll definitely go back into it because I just really enjoyed talking to, yeah. you know, all of the experts. Definitely. It's really fun. And I think like, obviously you're creating podcast and for other people and who are, like, in this case, mm. use business, but I actually just love talking to people. And I also feel like it's a really good way to get loads of tips from, as you said, from yeah. all the experts, like you yep. always end up feeling like you've had a free masterclass and something. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, I know. Because I, and I just ask really simple questions a lot of the yeah. times that, you know, I, I ask like, what, how much does it cost for a um, an email subscriber now? Like, what's the yeah. going rate on Facebook ads? Like, just so I know what the baseline is with these, you know, super professionals because it's hard to get that information sometimes, you know, because the yeah. people who are putting out the content, um, if they're like a solo agency, they're usually withholding some kind of secret source, mm. right? It's like they have the market advantage, uh, like the expert advantage. They're going to post content that will kind of, feed into their kind of funnel, uh, but they leave a little bit under the table. Whereas, yeah, like in the conversational kind of style, it's a lot easier just to kind of break down those walls and just kind of get in the trenches with 
people who are living and breathing it and, and yeah. be able to kind of, yeah, just hear it straight from them. Exactly. And people are just honest. If you just, and if you get mm. chatting about something they really are passionate about, like you'll just get so yep. more from them. Yeah. Definitely. Yep. But yeah, so back to you, I'd love to talk to you a bit more about your career. Um, and I, sure. before you moved into the business world, and even now, mm-hmm. you've just said you've been doing quite a few different things and testing the waters with different ventures. But I know you worked as a high school teacher, um, yeah. which I think is really interesting because nowadays we're kind of shedding the stigma around having multiple passions and careers, which I think is really great. Um, but I'd love to know from your perspective, what would you say are your main professional skills and interests? And like, do you think there's anything that ties your different career paths together? Yeah, I've thought about this uh, a lot, actually, because uh, in some respects, I look from the outside and I think, gee, I'm just I'm just shooting in all different directions here. But I think fundamentally what lights me up is I love teaching people. Uh, yeah. yeah, I just love teaching people. So uh, I find it really easy to break down pretty complex ideas, uh, structure them out in a really simple form and kind of deliver them to to the, whoever wants to learn. Uh, I think I've got some, uh, one of probably my strongest suits is that I really like people uh, and I'm pretty empathetic and very patient. And so that kind of helps when you're teaching these really difficult um, ideas and, and tasks and things like that. So uh, that's what I kind of learned as a teacher. And now it's kind of just left the classroom of high school kids. And now I'm into the classroom of the internet <laughs> and uh and I've kind of struck down on uh, technology and uh, solving problems for people, basically, who, who just don't know how to do it themselves. Uh, I find a lot of the stuff that I'm doing now is really easy for me, uh, you know, building websites, like building courses and all those kinds of things. But uh, for some people, it's a big hurdle and it's a big struggle. So if I can come in at the intersection of, you know, serving them, uh, like giving them help and kind of teaching them how to do it. And also being able to monetize that, right? To to have to live, to to work, kind of thing. Uh, then that's that's kind of where I ended up. Uh, even I suppose, like working for Buffer, you know, I started in uh, in their customer support, and and that's essentially all it was. It was just, hey, I've got a problem. Uh, that said the customer, um, this is happening or whatever, and then I would come in and and I would know what's happening, and I would break it down really simply, and I would give them the answer and teach them how to do it and then they're on their way and it was it was a really natural progression and I think I've kept that I think I've just now learned to try and focus it in on you know an an industry and an area and a niche that um that's really bringing me some excitement at the moment and uh and that's kind of where I'm headed sure so how did you get into your role at Buffer then it's a good question uh so as a teacher, I was a pretty young guy um, and I was all about the technology. So the school that I taught in, you know, not all kids had a laptop back in those days. We still had like shared computer rooms and I was a massive technology, like education technology evangelist. I was just yeah. like, this is the next frontier. Like this is what's happening and trying to like bring it in as much as I possibly could, uh, quite probably to the uh, discomfort of the teachers kind of ending their <laughs> tenures or ending their careers because you know they just weren't used to technology and you can't teach kids with computers and you know so I was battling this this uphill challenge of how do you implement technology and and enhance the learning and push the kids further and 
open up possibilities that they didn't have before. And so I used to blog about it and used to go and speak at events and teach in, teach teachers and teach schools how to use technology in, in the classroom. And uh, I used to use Buffer to share my blog posts. Mm. And so uh, it was one day I just saw the little Buffer is hiring um, little label inside the dashboard and I clicked on it, literally bored. You know, I was just like, oh, what's this? Uh, I still thought Buffer was like some San Francisco company tech startup thing and had like confectionery dispensers on the wall that just seemed like really, really fun. And as I was reading it, I saw that, you know, completely remote. Um, we'll give you a laptop. We'll give you a Kindle and, you know, no whole, uh, what is it? Um, unlimited vacation. Or like, it's just, I was like, is this real life? Like, what is this? Work from anywhere you want. And I thought, well, this is pretty, this is pretty cool. Um, so I went and had a look what jobs they had and they had a happiness hero and my eyes lit up. I was like, yeah, that's, I'm, I'm a happy guy. This is me. <laughs> I was like, what, what is this role? And uh, it turns out it was just their like customer support kind of uh, position. And uh, there was a written application. And what I liked about the buffer application is uh they do it in a way where you can't send in a profile photo or like any uh, information that might give them any bias to um, like male, female, ethnicity, uh, location. Like it's just, it's like a really, it's like a people, a person first. Like they take away like the hiring bias out of it. And so I thought if I was going to have this job, right, what, what would I want to work as like how how would I want to be in this role and I just thought I would be myself I unashamedly charismatic outgoing a little bit quirky and funny and so I wrote this application and I went for it I just Mm -hmm. I was given away they had like um how would you solve these support ticket kind of things I was given away free buffer here and there and like just (laughs) it was just crazy it was really fun and exciting and then, yeah, fast forward, that's, ex- that's exactly what they wanted. They just wanted someone with a bit of personality who could um, convey uh, emotion, empathize with the uh, customer, and, of course, solve, solve problems. So, yeah, I started, started, left my teaching job, took the leap, and started working for Buffer and stayed there for almost two years. That's so cool. Like, I really love that story, actually. And I was talking to – I had Brian from Buffer. Brian oh, nice. The other day, yeah. And he was saying the same kind of thing. Like he'd just been, actually I teach, he was in a university, I think, doing their social media. And same thing, yeah. he just really kind of loved the feel of Buffer and the company culture really appealed to him. He was like, oh, maybe I should give that a go. And it just seemed like a really good fit. And I think that's so important when you're working somewhere. And, you know, when you're being interviewed as well and doing an application, it's really for you as well. Like if that appeals mm. to you. Sure. I remember being um, in previous applications I'd done and I talked to everyone about this, you know, you always try and say what you think they're going to want to read. Yeah. And so my accolades become a little bit extended and like <laughs> my list of jobs is just, you know, you, you always try and paint yourself in the best light. And I remember with this buffer application, I didn't do any of that. I was just like, yeah. this is me. I'm just, this is what I do. This is what I, you know, what I like. Uh, and it went from there, but I, I miss Buffer. I miss, uh, miss the people and miss the community. You know, I never, it was almost 12 months before I met anyone on the team face to face. And I was, yeah. And it was so exciting. I just remember feeling so connected to them, even though I'd never met any single person on the team. Mm -hmm. Uh, and that was just, 
yeah, surreal experience coming from like a, you know, education where you live and breathe the teachers and you're in the staff room and it's just all, I don't know, what do we call like fixed location. So, and then to switch to this remote work situation, uh, it took a lot to get used to, but yeah, it was crazy how much of a relationship I built uh, so quickly. Yeah, you really can. I mean, and I think tools like Slack help and I have this Mm. user remote team, but also just, um, and I guess we're both the same like this, just building up a really good network of people who are in marketing or in tech or whatever and interested in the same things. And it is amazing how you can really develop these friendships with people and feel like you really do know them very well and support each other. And isn't that weird? Like, have we ever stopped to think about the implications of, what remote working is and you know because this is only a fairly recent thing in in the history of yeah. you know the internet and definitely in like the the corporate world uh, just building relationships building trust building empathy uh remotely having never met the person is is an incredibly challenging uh thing to facilitate right the cult to build a culture like that in a company that allows for that kind of uh, safety and uh, freedom is just yeah it's a testament to the companies like Definitely. Q and Buffer and that that are doing it really well yeah and I think it's because they give their employees trust and I was talking to Matt and Dan mm. about this the other day and they were saying it does really just make your employees perform better and I understand it doesn't yeah. suit everyone I'm sure there are lots of people that would hate remote working but I personally love it yeah, I um, it's funny. I I love rem- remote working, uh, and I I'm not sure I'll ever go back to a a corporate position. Like a what do you, what's the opposite of remote working? Fixed location. Yeah, fixed location. Uh, I fixed guess. fixed location. The office. <laughs> yeah, I would never go back to kind of working out of an office. I don't think. Uh, but uh, oh yeah, that's what I was going to say. So um, yeah, so I'll never go back to an office. But I really find it difficult to work in silence on my own. Like I can't work from home. I need to be at a cafe or at a co-working space. And it's kind of the noisier the cafe, the better I can work. I just get in my zone and yeah, I just like having people around me. I don't interact with them. Might give a wave or a smile to the faces they see familiar faces. Uh, In Bali, um, I've been to that many cafes and I've spent hours at each one. Now I know like the owners of the cafe and, you know, we'll have a chat now. And and it's nice building those relationships. I just need to be in and around people. Mm, I'm exactly the same. And I've done the same thing in Brixton and London where I live. Like it's, I I just like having that noise. I find sometimes if, Mm. you know, just loads going on, it just becomes almost like white noise or something and I can focus better. And yeah, I think you don't need to necessarily... I quite like working by myself and, you know, just mm. putting my head down and getting stuff done. But just having mm. those small interactions with people can really make a difference to your mood. Like yep. if I just stay at home all day and don't talk to anyone, I wouldn't be in a good state. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the cat doesn't talk back. Is, is that the... <laughs> but, you know, um, the perks of working yeah, I... at home as well. But yeah. Sure. I think with with a family, like, um, you know, if I had young kids that I was at home with, like, that mm-hmm. might be a nice um, kind of, I know a lot of people at Buffer have young families, uh, and they get to spend time, um, like, or even Daniel, like, you know, they, yeah. they get to spend time with their families as well as work, and it's not a, um, 
you know, there's not a two hour commute every day to the office. And yeah, it's just a, a lot easier. I do enjoy uh, working from home having, um, this is both the blessing and the curse is uh, having the fridge and pantry at oh, home. Um, so it's like a, a blessing. Cause I'm like, Oh, I just feel like this. So I'm going to walk over there and get it. And it's a curse because I sit there thinking about all of the things yeah. in the fridge and in the cupboard. <laughs> I'm like, didn't I just eat like 20 minutes ago? Like, I'm uh, still hungry. I'm going to go for it. The snacking is unreal. Like oh, <laughs> I end up eating really weird things as well because no one's there to watch you. So like, yes, you have those words like, mm, what can I dip in my peanut butter today? Yeah. yeah you're like, <laughs> is, is this savory biscuit and peanut butter? I'll yeah. try it. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's brilliant. So, so you've been traveling. I know that you're based in Bali now, and that's kind of uh, more of a fixed space for you. But you've been traveling around for quite a while now. Um, and I think you met your partner, Sabrina, while you were traveling. So I yeah, yep. your experience, do you think it's better? Um, and you guys have done some traveling together as well, because I follow you yep. on Instagram. And you always have amazing <laughs> photos and really cool things. So do you think it's better... Um, traveling with someone than traveling on your own if if you're trying to give the whole digital nomad thing a go i mean i've seen it seen it done in both ways um i think probably one of the perks about traveling together um is just knowing knowing what each each other likes uh and kind of keeping to as much of a routine as possible so uh, what I mean there is, you know, I know Sabrina likes to work from the hotel rooms, right? She kind of gets a good vibe on when it's nice and quiet and, you know, she has a little bit of yummy food for room service and she just goes heads down every records some videos and stuff like that. It's nice and quiet. Yeah. Whereas like we just talked about, I mean, I can't be stuck in a quiet place and work, right? I'm just not uh, productive and it drives me insane. So we, we kind of split up during the day to work. You know, she stays in the hotel room and I'll go down to the cafe in the lobby or to, um, you know, to a cafe down the street or something or a co-working space. And I'll work from there and then we'll probably catch up for lunch. Then we'll go our separate ways again. And, and we kind of have this, this balance. So I've seen, like, in our experience, that's, that's what we found to be really effective. Then I've also seen, um, you know, in Bali, there are a lot of traveling couples uh, especially in Chengdu, there's a huge digital nomad uh, scene and they are always together. I see them in the co-working spaces together when I'm at different restaurants, they're working together at the cafes uh, and that must just work for those couples. Um, some of them are in the same business together. So um, while a couple of months ago, especially while we were traveling through Europe and the US, um, I was uh, in the back end of Sabrina's business uh, but since then, I've kind of moved out into my own business. So it makes sense to kind of to to do what works best for each of us and stay most productive. Um, but I think if you're traveling alone, the the positives there, are, I mean, you just get to choose where you want to work, when you want to work, who you yeah. want to work next to. Uh, and you kind of become the uh, the creator of your own day. Uh, and then with a other business partner, both like, uh, you know, as a couple kind of thing. Uh, it's just whatever works best for that dynamic. Sure. So I'd love to know a bit more about your business because, yeah, you just said you were working with Sabrina for a bit and now you've branched out into your own thing. Um, so you're an online course architect. Um, so what's the value for businesses and entrepreneurs that you work with for sharing their knowledge in this way? And can you walk us through the stages of working with a client to build their course? Sure. So, uh 
I have my ideal client is um, pretty high five figure, um, potentially even six figure a month uh, income that has a team that has, uh, you know, their own marketing and sales uh, humming away. They're usually in the coaching um, or service based industry uh, and they want to branch out into online courses for a couple of reasons. Uh, one, it's great for scalability uh, because they don't have to be present uh, in a real-time moment. So they're not locked into a particular time uh, and they can serve, you know, it's one of them versus an exponential amount of people, right? Instead of one-on-one or one on a group. Uh, so there's that, the scalability. Um, it's great for brand awareness. Um, often these courses serve purely just to, um, as, as an advertising marketing tool for their company. You know, their high tier coaching um, products and um, consulting services are the core product. You know, they're, they're pretty high tier. Uh, and these courses just supplement their, their funnel, basically. It just kind of gets people inside their world and inside their business. So where I come into it is uh, their business is really successful and generally they're, they're working really hard and busy and they just don't have the time or the capacity to create the course. Uh, so I kind of just expedite that process for them. Uh, I'm not the expert in um, any of these fields. Like they still create all the content, but I work with them to just advise uh, from an educational point of view what's going to be most effective, what's going to be most engaging, um, just how to go from like their ideas in their head, their systems that they use with their clients already and how to package that up into a course. So that's kind of the first part um, stage of what I do. And then the second is doing all of the technical implementation and build. Because for some people who do have some time, they're like, hey, Paul, you know, I, I want to build a course, but I don't know which platform to use or I don't know how to, how to do it. And so... I'll go ahead and, and build it out for them on, on a course platform like Teachable or Thinkific, or I will do a custom build and host it on their website. Okay, great. Yes, yeah, so that makes sense for businesses, especially if they're maybe small teams, because it is just like mm. a set and forget kind of thing that they can create and will always be there. For exactly. Yeah. yeah. I have a, um, I worked with a, a guy and his uh, agency uh, works with some of the biggest brands in the world, you know, enterprise customers like Salesforce and like just monsters. So, uh, and he always has uh, startups and small businesses reaching out to his organization, uh, his like company to, to do, you know, work. And he's, uh, but they just can't afford it, right? It's just, they're not the ideal client. So he's leaving potentially money and then uh, long-term customers on the, on, the, on the floor, right? He's not being able to monetize those incoming leads and say those startups or small businesses kind of get their wheels in motion and grow and become and have the capital to invest in this kind of uh, SEO growth and marketing and stuff. Well, then he's kind of parting ways with them by not being able to serve them at the very first meeting. So he wanted to develop a course, right? That, that captures these small businesses and the startups who don't have the capital to invest in the high tier service um and kind of pull them into the funnel so yeah that was that was a really fun one to kind of break down what what they do with the enterprise customers and kind of put it into a systemized fashion um, that someone in a small business or startup could still learn from the uh, like the pillars that they're working through but not necessarily have to be um, dependent on the agency itself to deliver that service 
Sure, that's a really interesting example, actually. Um, and so I always find it really interesting if I'm talking to someone who has a marketing related business to find out how they market their own business. And mm. seeing as you work for Buffer, obviously, you've got a really solid background in this anyway. Um, and I know you've got a really great presence and a strong personal brand on social media. You're always posting on Facebook and LinkedIn and things. And what I notice is that your posts have kind of immediate value in themselves. So you do your like hashtag tip of the day videos on LinkedIn and you're not directing people to a blog post. It's just there on the platform. So what are your favorite channels and your favorite types of content to market your business? And am I correct in thinking that you don't have a blog on your website? Yeah, so that's exactly right. So I don't have a blog on my website. Uh, all of my clients and work so far have come from Facebook. Um, I have just from my personal brand, uh, my business page, and I have a Facebook group. Um, so in that group, um, that was a really fascinating experience, actually, uh, trialing that out because uh, as you, we've talked about this before, but I just experiment with everything and I just like, Oh, this sounds like a good idea. I'm going to try that and see how it goes. And, uh, and I kind of do the same thing with my marketing, um, and just try, uh, different things to see kind of what works for my audience. So I started a closed Facebook group, um, and that's been growing pretty steadily over the last couple of months, which is really exciting. Uh, and within there, I just give some a uh, little bit of extra love and TLC to the community in there. And it's all about course creation uh, and, you know, building your course, selling your course, anything to do with course creation is in there. People can ask questions. They can get some advice and, and I kind of help them for free. Uh, and that, that community gets kind of nurtured. It's uh all of my posts, uh, generally, like you said, not many, if any, have a call to action to download this, go to a blog, buy this. Uh, pretty much none of it does. Uh, the biggest call to action is some kind of um, asking for a response in the comments, right? Like just to try and jack up a little bit of the engagement and, and see if I can get that post traveling along a bit. The When I call for... Um, uh, for the sale basically is through through email sequences um, predominantly is where I kind of get my, um, my I give them my ask kind of thing uh, and I also found Facebook live videos to be really high converting for me uh, if I chuck a link in the comments of my Facebook video uh, my Facebook live video I'll do the the talk or whatever um, and I'll just have a link in there. Did you know uh, I have this ebook or like book in a call with me, whatever, whatever the call to action is. Mm. That has been some of the most highly converting um, link placements that I've found on social media and on the website so far. Uh, I boost every one of my Facebook live videos. I just add anywhere between a dollar and $5 a day to a custom audience made up of my Facebook page and my Facebook group. And I just trickle that Facebook live video out just to see like what what sticks, what kind of engagement I get on the video. So I can kind of gauge what content my immediate audience likes and consumes um, at the moment. And that's kind of how I, how I kind of come up with my next topics and next posts and things like that. But uh, generally it's all uh, value. I kind of give away as much as I possibly can. I think I heard a saying once, uh, you should give away, your free content should be uh, more valuable 
than the paid content of your competitors. Like that was like the, so that's kind of what I'm aiming for. You know, I am, it is so easy for me to show people how to create online courses and show people how to, um, you know, to, to build it and implement themselves. I mean, if they're not going to get the information from me, they're just going to go to YouTube or they're going to go anywhere else to get it. But if I can be that person that they learn to um, think of straight away when we think of online courses, who they can trust uh, and who they like and have a relationship with, then when it comes to the point where they do really need some help uh, and they're either a little bit desperate or they want to grow and they're like, hey, I want to invest, then I will be the person that they think of. Uh, and that's kind of the, the long-term strategy uh, that I'm going for. Sure. And I guess it is all about your, they're buying you and it's all about building that trust. So something like mm. in Facebook Live is a really immediate way to connect with your audience. So do you think that's just kind of something that's worked for you or do you think that's a wider trend? Well, I got that purely from Sabrina, you know, I've seen yeah. like the business over there has just like 12 months ago. It was, it was nothing like it is today uh you know we we've grown so so much uh in the last like six to 12 months it's been exponential uh and a lot of that in the early days came from her facebook live videos right and people just ask questions and on on a live video you can't hide from questions yeah. You, the 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 people who kind of fake it until you make it get found out you know they yeah. get a question they don't know the answer to and they're like oh i'll come back to that you know and that kind of trust let meter we all know we have this gauge inside of us and you're like hey hang on something something a little bit sketchy is going on here yeah. uh and that's why people who are confident with their service their product what they're selling and what they can help people with if they get into those situations where they're on live video um, or like marketing banter, right? Like talking to experts and things like that. Uh, people just, just know they're like, well, oh, this, this guy knows what he's talking about. Or this girl, she, she really knows what she's talking about. Uh, and so I think that's helped the growth um, and the, the kind of the trustability uh, a lot. Yeah, for sure. That's one of the reasons I started this podcast because the, um, online you know it's so saturated with blog posts nowadays mm. and a lot of the time there are so many influencers who aren't even writing the blog posts themselves and that's like cool yeah. to outsource some things but you know I think it does affect the quality sometimes sure that's one thing I'm actually thinking of experimenting with um, probably by the end of the year uh, I wanted to kick up a bit of a YouTube channel um, to see if I can get in some uh, search results in Google, just all about course content and course creation and things like that. Uh, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to download the transcript uh, from the video and I'm going to send the transcript to a copywriter and I'm going to get a copywriter to break up that transcript into blog posts, email newsletters, uh, Facebook posts, Facebook captions, and like one line quotes. And out of like one video, I will have, you know, all of this content then that I can redistribute around uh, my network and repurpose. So that's one thing I'm going to be experimenting with before the end of the year. Well, that's cool. And that makes total sense as well, because it's still like your content and your voice, but just yeah. as a solopreneur having, you do need sometimes those extra people to help you out. Um, on yep. the subject of which, obviously, working for yourself is really liberating and exciting, but it's also really challenging. 
So a question I'm asking a lot of solopreneurs on this show is how they establish a good work-life balance. And do you feel like you've figured out things like productivity and self-care or those still things you're working on? That's a good question. Some days I have terrible (laughs) self-care. So like yesterday, um, Sabrina thought I was going insane um, (laughs) because she's in London at the moment and uh, and she called me. She's like, hey, hey, on. And it was 7 a.m. here in Bali and I was at the cafe working. Yeah. Turns out she talked to me again, like after she woke up and I hadn't left the cafe uh, and it was 8 p.m. at night, <laughs> still at the same cafe. I didn't even know. It was just, but I had the most exhilarating, exciting day. I worked on so much and I got heaps done, but that was, you know, that is excessive. That yeah. is just, uh, and so now today I feel a little bit off off tilt, right? So now it's a little bit harder to get focused um, and stay on track. And hopefully it'll rebalance out tomorrow. But that's, in terms of the self-care, uh, I train twice a day um, when I can or when I'm just not too sore. So I train twice a day, um, try and eat really healthy, uh, drink lots of water um, and, and yeah, kind of set some boundaries in my own mind about uh, replying to clients and social media kind of thing. Set the expectation that, hey, after a certain point in time, uh, you're not going to get a response from me. It's difficult down in Bali because we're 12 hours ahead of EST. Uh, so predominantly my client base is US. So it is has its challenges, but I think that's a trade-off, right? We're living in island paradise. Uh, and if I have to have a few late calls or a few early calls, I'm kind of happy with that. Yeah, sure. Now, I remember you saying that actually when I did that blog post um, on the pros and cons of being different. Mm. The time difference you do have to take that into account. Um, but yep. You say that a, a lot of people, when I interviewed them for that blog post, said that on the one hand, the quality of life if you're traveling around all the time is amazing, you're doing all these exciting things, but it is sometimes difficult to look after yourself. So, would mm. you say is that kind of why you decided to settle down and have a base in Bali? 100% because there is nothing more. Uh... Uh, what do you call it enticing than a a buffet breakfast that goes for four (laughs) hours and like and an all-you-can-eat lunch buffet and then like some fancy beautiful like European Italian wine and like pasta like how can you keep a diet when uh, and eat healthy when you have access to the most delicious food in the world like wherever you travel to so by by kind of uh, and uh, I just don't train from hotel gyms right i think uh when sabrina was booking um all the places for our um tour through europe and stuff last year and into america uh i kind of gently made her i was like hey like it'd be great to have gyms at all these places because you know i'm still naive then i was like yeah i'll like i'll train tw- you know every day and i'll keep up my fitness kind of thing i'm sure my uh gym clothes had cobwebs on them by the time i came back to bali like they just they had not been used and my i lugged around like gym shoes and like you know the the whole works basically my whole gym kit i took in the suitcase with me so now i just know that even with the intention, even if you pack it, Paul, you're still not going to train. So that's uh, that's like a lesson that I've learned. Maybe I'm just not disciplined enough or don't have the motivation because, you know, the odd times that I did go down to the hotel gyms, I mean, there's a ton of people down there. So obviously people do it, but it's just not the same as being in Bali and having the routines of planting, planting some roots 
and kind of setting that expectation in your calendar, like, hey, from this time to this time, I'm training. From here to here, we're going to eat some lunch and kind of setting those, those boundaries for myself. Yeah, I think that is really important, especially if you're running your own business. Because I guess maybe it was different for you as well when you were working for Buffer and traveling. Like, would you say it's easier working for yourself or working for another company, having that lifestyle? Mm, I think it would be easier working for another company because there is generally a start-stop time, right? There's like a, I log on and I log off. That's harder to administer uh, or enforce with, as your own boss because there's always, there's always something more you can do. Like there's always that other thing on the to-do list. There's just one more, um, you know, Facebook post to write. There's one more email to get to. There's one more project to start. Like there's always something. Uh, but with a with a company, uh, it's a little bit easier because you know that as an employee, right? Because there's a difference between an employee and an entrepreneur. As an employee, the expectation is you have a team around you who all have their roles, uh, and you kind of just kind of check in and work and check out. But as an entrepreneur, you are you have the accountability and the responsibility to push this train forward and it all falls back on you. So I think having that balance there and that difference is, is really important to, to kind of keep track of. Uh, I, that being said though, um, it, I, I think it's just in my personality. Like I really like working. Um, and even when I work for Buffer, I would do, you know, way more than my eight hours a day or whatever the yeah. the expectation was. Um, and I enjoyed it too. And, yeah, but I, I think it's just a, a weird little trait of mine. Sure thing. So I've just got one final question for you. So as someone who's you know, really got your finger on the pulse of digital nomadism and you've explored those of different places, what would you say are going to be the top digital nomad destinations in the next year or so? Uh, Southeast Asia is going to absolutely explode over the next, uh, I'd say, I'd say for the next two two years. Uh, Thailand is just about to release a nomad visa uh, where you can stay for up to, I think it's four years, uh, with, and work in the country. Yeah. So it is designed specifically to attract nomads to the country, um, let them work without risk of being deported or like any kind of criminal charges and things like that. Uh, and yeah, you can legally stay there and work for up to four years. Um, there is a lot, um, there's a lot of developments going into co-working spaces, um, within Bali and also adjoining spaces across Southeast Asia, um, which are going to be great because you'll just be able to fly, like have the one co-working subscription and one day you're going to work from Bali and then you fly into Bangkok and you work from there for a week and then fly over to, um, you know, Malaysia and work from there for a little bit and then come back and check out you know Singapore and and you just kind of bop around Southeast Asia um the cultures are completely different uh in each place you go to um it's like it's black and white uh in some countries so yeah I think Southeast Asia is going to be um a top hit uh and then um yeah I, I just think for digital nomads and remote workers traveling throughout Europe uh, and the US is tricky because it's, it's a really expensive um, way to work, right? Having to support your own office costs in co-working spaces or in cafes and things like that all adds up, you know, and if you're running your own business and you're trying to, trying to start, get it off the ground and 
also paying travel costs and accommodation and all those other expenses, it can be a tricky balance, which is why something like Southeast Asia is really, really uh, appealing to a lot of these new uh, entrepreneurs and people who are, you know, just quitting the nine to five and want to try their own thing. I mean, you know, a, a pound or euro or a US dollar, it goes like, you know, 30, 40, 50% more, 60% more in Southeast Asia you know, than it would at home. So yeah, that's, that's a really, really big draw card. Sure, that's so cool about the visa. I'm definitely going to go off and like look at flights. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, amazing. So, um, and also, where can our listeners find you on social media? Ah, cool. So, uh, if you just type in uh, at the Paul Thompson, uh, I'll pop up on Instagram and Facebook, and my website is thepaulthompson.com. So, yeah, just um, hit me up anytime if you have any questions about. Oh, anything really about digital nomadism, remote work, uh, course consulting, uh, marketing. Um, yeah, I love chatting and meeting everyone. So reach out anytime. Anyone else tempted by that nomad visa in Thailand? Thank you for listening to Conversations with Q and feel free to tweet us at Q underscore co or call into our Anchor FM station if you've got any thoughts or ideas you'd like to share on these topics. We'd also massively appreciate some subscribes, ratings and reviews on iTunes. See you next week for the final episode of season one.